Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast, brought to you by the National Strip Tillage Conference. I'm McCain Vogel, Assistant Editor at Cover Crop Strategies. In this episode, Aries Haygood of Vidalia, Georgia, talks about his unconventional path into the world of agriculture and how he first started learning about cover crops. Haygood also talks about what equipment works best for him as a grower of Georgia's famous Vidalia onions, which are known to have a very sweet flavor due to the low amount of sulfur in the soil in that part of Georgia. So Aries, you want to start out, just tell us a little bit about your background in agriculture and kind of how you got to where you're at today. I know you have kind of an unconventional way that you got into all this. And, and so tell our listeners a little bit about that, if you would. Uh, well, I um, I graduated from uh, Georgia Southern University in 2005, married my wife in December of 2006 and started on the farm in April of 2007. So uh, I told my wife that I thought that I wanted to farm with her dad. And um, I, I saw that he always got a chance to ride around and look at everything. And uh, his his job consisted of just being outside. So I figured that's what I wanted to do. Um, so I did that, um, you know, kind of hit the ground running, started from the ground, learning how to, you know, just do everything on the farm. We primarily grow Vidalia sweet onions. Then we've diversified into uh, watermelons as well. But we've always, you know, had some row crops, some corn and some soybeans also in the bag. But yeah. Um, so I, I pretty much I have a business background. So I started off in the office uh, just learning how everything, how it all functions. A lot of our business is probably a little bit more, uh, it's a little different than maybe the typical farm. You know, we grow our onions. We also pack our onions and, you know, have to work closely with marketers that market our onions. So there's a, you know, it's a daily struggle trying to make sure you have enough product available to ship, to pack for the retailers and that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I did that, uh, worked my way up, just kind of learning everything um, from running a forklift to a tractor to making the call on fertility and and, and um, spray records and recommendations, that kind of stuff. So uh, back, so, you know, uh, fast forward from 07 to 2019, uh, my wife and I officially purchased the farm uh, from my father-in-law. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been uh, blessed, to say the least, just have plenty of business. Uh, seems like some days we're just doing a lot of work and not a lot being showed for. It. But, um, you know, we the business has been good uh, when COVID hit. You know, of course, that was a that was a big uh, shake up for us because, um, you know, being a packing facility, uh, trying to figure out how to maneuver through COVID. Um, I guess you could say, uh, make sure that the rules are the correct rules were being in place and implemented into the packing house to not only keep everyone safe, but just keep them from getting sick because we, we never slowed down. Um, when, when the, when the country was shutting down, we were actually gearing up as far as providing that food being essential and all. So, um, it, uh, it was definitely a challenge, but, you know, we were able to get through it and, you know, it seems like ever since we got through it, I don't know if just because the business is, is kind of grown that we just can't feel like we can grasp 
uh, or get caught up on what the deal is, but, you know, we just keep plugging away. So what were some of the hardest things to kind of get the hang of when you first got into farming with your father-in-law? What were some of the biggest struggles for you? When I first got involved with it, it there was I was lucky enough uh, to have a good mentors and and my father-in-law who's Terry Collins and then my his uh, partner was Mike McKinley. Um, you know they 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 were good mentors. They were very uh, respected around the onion world around here. Um, they weren't the biggest, uh, but they were really good at what they did. So um, I learned a lot from that. So I was I was I was fortunate enough to be able to experience the the transition or the learning curve through them, um, you know, more since um, 2017. Uh, I've been more it's been more challenging for me because I've been trying to figure out different approaches to to grow in the crop, the crops and the produce. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, I was in 2017, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. So I, I fought through that. Um, and uh, since that, I just, you know, I just made a commitment to myself that like, I just wanted to uh, be able to, you know, as we researched and learned, you know, we're learning stuff, I just, I said, you know, I want to try growing crops, maybe a different way, maybe not as conventional as the conventional approach. Uh, so, you know, that's what my focus has been. Um, I also, you know, have really just become, um, I want to be a steward of the land uh, where we farm at uh, tends to be a little bit more of a rolling hill closer to the river. Um, so we, you know, it's when we do any type of tillage, we get these, you know, these rain showers that come through, they'll rain two, three inches at one time. It washes all the topsoil off. Uh, so I've just been trying to figure out some different approaches with that. And uh, that's been the challenging part because most people around here, they don't do cover crops or they used to not do it. Now you're starting to see more and more people adopt it um, through the programs that are available, you know, through the government that's kind of incentivizing folks to try it at least. Um that's been the biggest challenge for me right now is just like trying to take a a, a farm that's like I can't. It's so expensive now doing what we're doing. The margin of error is so small now. It's hard for me to make too many big drastic steps. But you know that's just how I like to roll. I just like to go for it because I know if I don't go all in, then I won't do it. Um, so it's been a little bit of a challenge just trying to maneuver through that and uh, make sure that I'm not uh, doing anything that's going to push me off the edge. So let's talk about some of those strategies that you've been implementing to uh, to try to be more of a steward of the land. Obviously, you said you're using cover crops. When do you when did you uh, first start using cover crops? Was that in 2017, like you said? Uh, well, no, actually, the first time I used them was after I purchased the farm. So it was in 2019. Okay. Uh, you know, going back uh my, you know, the the other, the older generation just w- really wasn't educated, but they just didn't really understand the whole cover crop philosophy. Sure. Um, so it didn't really make sense to them. Um, and uh, so, I mean, immediately after uh, we purchased the farm and I had control of the checkbook, I, you know, bought uh, rye cover crop seed and uh, just used rye to start off with. 
And what other kinds of cover crops have you used since then? And what have been like the more successful ones for you or, or some of the ones that haven't worked out for you? What have been sort of the... the yeah, you know, so rye is good because, uh, you know, you can kind of, you got a large window down in, in where I'm at in Georgia that we can put it in. It's, it's always usually been a good go-to, especially with having soybeans going behind it. Um, I've read so much about uh, the soybeans, um, um, just the rye and the soybeans just kind of work really good. Um, you know, here this past year, I got with a friend of mine that's um, um, a little bit more educated on cover crops and mixes and all that other stuff. And that's what he does. I think he's he may be tied in with the green cover crop or green cover seed uh, folks. I'm not 100 percent sure. But anyway, long story short, I um uh, you know, he's kind of showing me some different mixes, cocktails that they use and, you know, some rape and some radish and some, uh, of course, the grasses. Uh, some of my crops I'm switching or he switched me more to triticale instead of uh, the rye, you know, just yeah, kind of just piecing through that. And then we're also trying to, like, come up with the best mixes for each one of the crops. So I like to try to have something growing as many days out of the year as I can. Thankfully, in Georgia, we can pretty much grow something 24 or 12 months out of the year. And so uh, I try to make a blend or a cocktail mix for watermelons, one for corn, one for soybeans. And then, of course, I'm going to try to figure out something for the onions. Um, I already use some stuff for onions if I leave out a, um, a summer crop. But um, I want to try to incorporate something else and then maybe even eventually try some you know, some direct seeding onions into a cover crop, you know, just kind of something really off the wall. Um, because I, you know, it does, we get 58, uh, between 40 and 50 inches of rain a year. Usually that rain, of course, comes during the winter months. That's when we plant our onions. Uh, onions is very intensively tilled. Um, I mean, it is beautiful to come by an onion field and see everything bedded up, looks pretty, and then the onions are growing. Man, every time we get a half inch or an inch of rain at a time, it's just you just see it just all that topsoil just pouring off the field. And so I just I want to try to figure out a way to help myself, um, the land around me, uh, make sure that the rivers and the creeks stay clean. Um, and also, you know, maybe try to leave my mark on the onion industry here that, you know, maybe I can help somebody else learn a different way to do it so that you know we can check all those boxes off about the, the health of everything we'll come back to the conversation in a moment but first i'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor the national strip tillage conference strip till success doesn't happen overnight but the chances of succeeding will often depend on taking advantage of the critical management and equipment decisions other growers have made as they adopt and advance this highly popular reduced tillage system. Build and refine your strip-till system with dozens of new ideas and connections at the 10th Anniversary National Strip Tillage Conference in Bloomington, Illinois from August 2nd through the 4th. Experience an energizing agenda featuring inspiring general session speakers, expert-led strip-till classrooms, and collaborative strip-till roundtables. Plus, certified crop advisor credits will be offered. Register now and use promo code PODCAST for $50 off the price of admission. And now, let's get back to the discussion with Aries Haygood. 
where you're at in Georgia is the huge onion industry for the specifically for the uh, the Vidalia onions. And I want to get to that uh, in a few minutes. But first, I was wondering, is there any uh, equipment that you use that has been particularly helpful to you uh, in what you're trying to do? One of the things I've learned or picked up on is is you've got to be uh, uh, versatile enough to to kind of adapt to anything that may be happening or changing, um, especially with our weather patterns. You know, one day your cover crop's perfect. You can go right in there and plant into it, come back later, terminate it, whether it be chemically or, or mechanically. Um, one day you, it may get too big. You need to go in there and, and mow it. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the pattern of the way that the, the crop is distributed is important. Um, so, you know, I've gotten uh, purchased roller crimpers. Um, I purchased a cyclone mower from major equipment. Uh, that was kind of one of really and truly that was like my first uh, uh, venture into this was was the cyclone mower because what I liked about it was the way that it would cut and flail and throw the product behind it, um, kind of an even distributor instead of windrowing it because uh, you know you can go through fields all the time, especially in this area. Uh, peanut fields are one of the main ones, um, but then you could look at like, anybody that batches the crop. The, the decay from the crop or the, the they, they put it in rows, you can see it the next year. And so I'm like, all right, let's spread it out. And that way uh, the cover crop is, is protecting the soil better. That's another thing. I mean, just trying to keep uh, something intact, attached to that soil the best I can too, so that the next crop can grow. But I still mow some. Um, I've been wanting to, you know, use the mower to mimic certain things, you know, that would, a lot of the research and a lot of folks talk about grazing cattle and how important it is. And, you know, I'm not, I don't have anything fenced. So I've thought about, you know, going through and just doing some weird things, maybe taking like a mixture of water and saliva from a cow and go through, mow the field and uh, at a certain height and then spray that on while I'm mowing to kind of make the chem, see if maybe the chemical reaction, because they, they say there's some kind of, you know, that there's some kind of chemical or some kind of reaction that happens. Like when a cow eats some forage or eats something, it sends some kind of a lick, like impulses to the roots. And yeah, so I'm just like, okay, if I don't have cows, what else can I do um, to mimic that? But again, I, you know, we get so busy, it's hard to test stuff like that for my own self. So I'm just taking bits and pieces of what I'm learning, just trying to add it to the arsenal. So I've already got the sprayer equipment and, Fertilizer rigs. I mean, I've got all of that. So I did. I just had to add the roller crimper and then the the mower. All right. So let's talk a little bit about these uh, the onions. Obviously, for the, for people that don't know, um, this is a specific kind of onion. It's a sweet onion, right? That's correct. Yep. So the sweetest. Want, the yeah, sweetest I've onion. never I've never tried one. I, now I now really. I, uh, I'm curious. I'll, I'll have to make a trip down to Georgia or something. But, Absolutely. You got to um, come see me, man. And all we right, got all right. Three weeks. In three weeks, you come. You'll get all the experience you want from onions. All right, sounds good. So, so tell our listeners a little bit about uh, about these onions and 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 what you guys are doing with them. Yeah. So you know, Vadia uh, Sweet Onions became famous. Um, uh, well, it's kind of the the history behind the Vadia Sweet Onion was a gentleman uh, by the name of Moses Coleman that was looking for a way to generate some revenue for his farm um, back uh, uh, maybe like in the 50s or, or something kind of coming out of the depression era. So um, 
Vidalia at the time was kind of an intersection of travel. Uh, you know, the old, I mean, I've, I've, I haven't seen but maybe one picture I vaguely remember, but some of the, just the, the intersections in, in downtown Vidalia, there was, that was, I think at the time, U.S. number one was the road that went from Miami or actually Key West. But anyway, it travels all the way up the East Coast. So that was like the main source of travel at the time. So anyway, he 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 pretty much planted onions and then realized that the onions had a sweet flavor. A lot of it had to do with the soil type, you know, the the fact that it rained a lot. So it was able to kind of wash nutrients out, you know, that kind of stuff. So fast forward, I think it was like the late 80s, Vidalia, um, folks from Vidalia kind of got together and tried to, was kind of pushing for the trademark in the name. Um, Piggly Wiggly jumped on board. Uh, Piggly Wiggly uh, at the time was one of the largest distributors of uh, grocery and grocery retailers in the Southeast. And so once they jumped on board, that's kind of what got everything uh, pretty famous on the East Coast for sure uh, was about A.S. with Onions. And, you know, and so then it was federally trademarked. It's commissioned or excuse me, it's protected by the Commissioner of Agriculture of Georgia. And then they pretty much let the us growers kind of have a lot of influence on changes or things or, you know, things we need to implement or, or anything like that. So, uh, but yeah, so, you know, the, the industry uh, has pretty much kind of settled, simmered out. Uh, we, there used to be a lot of uh, uh, five and 10 acre growers. Um, they would pack at their facility, you know, maybe like a, a little pole barn at the house and they'd sell it on the roadside stand or they have somebody in Atlanta that would buy or something like that. But as uh, industry has developed and the technology's changed and food safety's changed and that kind of stuff, it just kind of, you started seeing more of the guys, uh, like my father-in-law and his partner all just kind of got a little bigger, got a little bigger. They kept investing in it. And, uh, and so that's, you know, the reason why we're here today, basically. And so the industry, Pretty much is, is, is kind of come and handled pretty much now with about 30 growers, 35 different growers that produce all the onions, uh, Vidalia sweet onions. And am I correct to you're part of this, uh, the Vidalia onion committee? Is that? Yes, sir. So yeah. what's your role with that group? What, what do you well, uh I've served as the uh, chairman of the committee numerous for numerous years of vice chairman now I'm, I'm act, actively a member and not really having to serve on the um, the office portion of it of, the, of that. But uh, you know, I've always been involved with the committee from pretty much year one that I was here. Uh, you know, uh, when you're young coming into something, um, we always get asked to join and get involved because uh, the older generation says, "Hey, we put in our time. We're ready to kind of start easing out." And so, been involved in that from day one. So, uh, serving in different, you know, many different roles throughout that. And so, along with onions, you mentioned a little bit earlier, but you have some other crops going on in your operation too, right? You said watermelon, mm-hmm. uh, corn, soybean. Yep. That's Are right. you guys doing cotton as well? We have done cotton. Um, I'm I'm going to move away from cotton. Cotton's tougher to rotate onions behind um, because of the the hard sturdiness of the plant. So I'm going to kind of start veering away from cotton a little bit. Uh, I'm not really a good cotton grower either, you know. So I struggle with that. Uh, but um, I've got buddies of mine that are really good cotton growers. So I'm like, you know what? 
I don't want to saturate the market. I'll stay out of it. Let them do that. And I'll tend to my own stuff. So, um, Well, how about we end on sort of a consultant note? What, what would be a piece of advice that you would give to someone who's either looking to get involved with using cover crops or maybe someone who's started to use them, but but hasn't quite gotten them to work the way they want? Yeah, I tell you, I uh, it, it's sad for me to say this, um, but I have like really just uh, accepted that that's what I want to do. And so I literally am just on YouTube or Googling things just like and if I'm listening to something um, and I hear something, I'll try to research that, what that means. And, you know, but by no means have I learned all that there is to learn. And, and that's the good thing is don't get frustrated because there's so much out there that you, that not even the scientists know. And they'll tell you, like, we're they're just digging into little bits and pieces of what biology is actually doing. But if it's warm enough for something to grow, some, just put something on there to grow. And, uh, you know, don't be afraid of, is it going to seed or if, it, you know, yeah, it probably will seed some, you'll probably will have some coming back, but you're going to learn from it, you know, and at least, at least know before you put it in, Hey, I'm going to probably need to approach the seeding of that or before it goes to seed by this time. And if you miss it, just keep working. I mean, it'll all balance itself out as what I'm being told and what I see. And so, you know, it, to me, it's just it's just more satisfying to run a planter through a field and there's no dust and everything kicking up on it. It's just peaceful to me. You know? Big thanks to Aries Haygood for today's discussion. The full transcript of the episode will be available at CoverCropStrategies.com slash podcasts. Many thanks to the National Strip Tillage Conference for helping make this Cover Crop podcast series possible. And from all of us here at Cover Crop Strategies, I'm McCain Vogel. Thanks for listening and have a great day.